is a new year, and uh, we just want you to know, again, that we are so glad that you're here today, and we want you to know that um, you're welcome here, that you are absolutely welcome here, and we pray that you not only feel welcomed here, that you feel challenged, that we leave here today as different people than when we walked in. Amen? That's our goal here today, and so we want to we dig into God's Word. We want to get after it today. Uh, every single week, uh, as we pray as, as worship leaders and, and pastors in, down in the kitchen, that's our prayer room down there, we say, God, we pray that this is not just going to be one more Sunday. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, and uh, we believe that God has some incredible things uh, for us today. But we do pray that you feel welcome, and we want you to know that uh, you're a part of our family here. If this is your 1,000th time being here, or if this is your very first time here, we're like the Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family. Amen? Amen. All right, so here we go. Um, I want to start today with a question. I want to start today with a question, and it's a, it's, it's a pretty tough question. It's pretty deep. It's pretty philosophical. So you ready? You ready for just me to lower the boom on you here with this tough question? This is the very first question that I want to ask you today. It might just blow your mind, so brace yourself. Where are you? I know, it's tough. Let me ask it again. I know, you're just, your mind's boggled right now. Where are you? Where are you? I want you to think about, yes, of course, I know where you are physically. You're sitting here at worship in uh, Charles C. McGuire Gymnasium at Hubble Elementary School, uh, trying to stay awake during the pastor's sermon, wondering if he's gone insane for asking these sorts of questions. Where are you? I want you to think a little bit deeper than maybe where you're at physically. Where are you at in life these days? Where are you? are you? Are you moving forward in life? Are you feeling uh, stuck in some present circumstance that's going on in your life that just doesn't seem to change? Or maybe you're, well, you're living in the past. But most importantly, I want to ask you that question, where are you in relation to God? Where, where are you in your relationship to your creator? And I ask that question because it's the exact same question that is asked of a certain couple in our scripture reading for today, and asked by none other than God himself. And as we'll find out, the answer to that question and, and, uh, that they give, and our answer to that question thousands of years later, has profound implications. So I want you to hold on to that question, where am I? Where am I in my life right now? Where might God find me? And I want you to hold on to that question. I want you to mill it around in your head for a few minutes as we turn to Genesis chapter 3. So if you're not there already, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 3. As Elizabeth mentioned, it's on page 5, not 700 and something like we normally are. It's on page 5. So if you don't know where Genesis is, just open up your Bible to the very beginning and it's right there. We're going to start in Genesis today as we start this brand new sermon series called A New Look at some old stories. And we're going to be spending some time over the next few weeks in the Old Testament, going back to some of these stories that you probably remember from Sunday school uh, growing up. Some of them are going to be really familiar, and some of them are not going to be. And they're not going to be familiar at all. And we're doing so because it's so important for us to go back and look at our history. It's so important for us to go back and look and see where we've been so that we can make sense of where we are and where we're going. There's a reason that that book that you hold in your hands this morning is the number one bestseller of all time. It's because is that we, uh, over the, the years and the generations, as we've held that up to ourselves, it's like a mirror. People have said that, that the Bible's like a mirror. When we look at it, we see ourselves, don't we? 
It's like somebody's reading your mail, right? It helps us make sense of our story. God's story then in turn becomes our story. And that's the foundation for this new sermon series that we're going to be in over the next few months. It's a mirror that we hold up to our lives and we see ourselves and nothing could be more true of this story that we start with today. Where are you? Is the question that God asks in verse 9, chapter 3, verse 9. God asks, where are you to Adam and Eve? who we know are our first father and mother. They're our, they're our original family of origin. Now, just pause for a second. It's really easy for us in stories like this, when we hear the story of Adam and Eve, to sort of uh, shake our fists at Adam and Eve because we know they're the ones who screwed it up for everybody else, right? They messed it up for all of humankind, and so we start to shake our fists at them and say, oh, I'm so frustrated with my first mother and my first father. So they're given paradise, They're given the Garden of Eden. They're created by God with complete freedom to do anything they want except one thing. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil as we read back in chapter 2. And so what do they do? They eat the fruit. They do the one thing. The one thing. It's almost like God looks at Adam and Eve and says, you had one job to do, right? Stay away from that tree. And thus the rest of humankind has fallen and lives into sin. And so we give Adam and Eve a hard time for being the relatives that screwed up. But then again, God has this way, I think around the holidays, around Christmas every year, we get this wonderful reminder as we travel home to our families of origin that they're not exactly perfect either. You know what I'm talking about? Did anybody have this kind of experience when you went home for the holidays or maybe you had people to your house? Anybody have a perfect family out there? Okay, one. Awesome. We'll do a seminar about that later. Um, that's awesome. But um, I don't know. I've, uh, not, not every family exactly has it all together. In fact, nobody does. Uh, we got some Christmas cards this year from some strange families that are out there. I wanted to share a few, few of these with you. Go ahead and, and uh, go to that. Here's one card we got. Um, just a strange family. Um, they just live down the street from us. Uh, he, here's another one we got. Some really strange families. Um, just they wanted to go with the Christmas theme. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if your family's strange like this at all. And last but not least, here's a fun one too, kind of the Star Trek. Um, is your family weird? Have they ever done anything like that? Are your families just pretty normal? Gotcha. Um, the longer that we spend time with our families, the longer we realize people are weird. They're really strange, right? Of course, not us. We're not the strange ones, just other people's families, right? They're always the strange ones. Um, for you, uh, maybe spending time with your family uh, during the past holiday season was frustrating. Well, you get there, and as soon as you get there, you're ready to leave, right? <laughs> we just don't get along. Things don't mesh really well. Uh, for Tiffany and I, this year uh, in Christmas was more of an enlightening experience for us as we are starting to understand more and more that we are turning into our parents, Does anybody have this revelation in your life? Um, Because we're not strange, but we're turning into our strange parents. It's their fault. Um, I don't know. Have you had one of these moments with your parents? Okay, where you realize that. So we're at my parents' home, and Tiffany is just observing like she does, and then it hits her. Oh, that's why you make that slurp noise when you drink your hot chocolate, and it drives me crazy. Spouses, do you know what I'm talking about? There's just those little things that just get under your skin. You know what I'm talking about? And she's realizing, oh, that's where you got it from. So we've had multiple moments over the last couple weeks. Thank you for sipping your drink like that, Stefan. 
Okay, and then we go to uh, her parents' house, and so we're there, and, uh, and, and, I, and I realize, and it hits me, oh, that's why there's always one more thing to get before we leave the house. Men, you know what I'm talking about? We're rent. ooh, wow, wow. There's going to be some conversations on the way home. Um, so, and it just hit me. It's like, oh, that's why it makes sense. So over the last couple of weeks, you know, as we're getting ready to go, she's not bad at it, but I'm just kind of look at her and say, you know, good job, Carolyn. Thank you for that, you know, and we're just calling each other by our parents' names. And uh, if you're getting my drift, just say amen. Just Okay, okay, you're understanding that. There are certain things that we inherit from our families of origin that whether we like it or not, they're a part of who we are, Right? They're a part of who we are. We can't shake it off. We just say, I'm not going to be weird like my dad. I'm not going to be weird like my mom. We can't shake it. And in the same way, what we have here in the first few chapters of Genesis are our family of origin. That we understand that that, that it's not just telling us about a few little quirks that we have. It's telling us about the fundamental condition of our hearts. That's what these first few chapters of Genesis are. So if we back up just a few chapters, back up to Genesis 1. So just flip a page or two back there. And uh, in the very beginning, so page 1, how often do we get to say that? Page 1, verse 1, it begins with the words, in the beginning, God. We know the in the beginning part, but it goes, in the beginning, God. And so right away in this story, we know that God is first. God is previous. God is at the center of this story and your story. God is not just the author, but God is the hero. God is a very active participant in this story. And then right away, we learn something about God's character. He is bursting with love and with creativity. And because of that, he wants to share it. Just like parents who want to, uh, that fell in love with each other, and, and, and in their love for each other, they want to share it. They want to create life and have children. And so the same is with God. Out of his love that's bursting forth in the Trinity, God is a creative God. And so we read the familiar account of creation in Genesis 1. And so feed back the lines to me here if you know them. God created the heavens and the earth, and it was... And, oh, we got to do better than that. He creates darkness and light, and it was good. And then it was followed by him creating earth and sky, and it was good. And then plants and animals, and it was good. And it was all good. It's all good, right? It's fun to say that. And then God does something incredible. God does something incredible. All of creation has been swelling and, and building towards this climax, and God's like, oh, you think the sunrise over the Rockies is beautiful? You think, you think the sunset on the beach in the Caribbean is beautiful? You just wait. There's one more thing, in fact, two more things that I need to create. So God actually takes his image, his very heart and his being, he creates a man and then a woman with his unique characteristic, characteristics and qualities inside of them. Adam and Eve are the pinnacle of creation. And so... It's this incredible phrase. We get to verse 31. Look at verse 31 uh, there in chapter 1. We get to verse 31. And God says about Adam and Eve, God said that creating them was very good. good. Everything else is good. It's all good, right? But there's something special about Adam and Eve. It was very good. And you know what? I hope that you believe that today. 
Do you believe that today? That your creator has something to say about the image that you often believe about yourself that might be inadequate or worthless or not beautiful or not good enough. We often believe those things about us. You are God's treasured creation. You are the pinnacle of creation. Even if you've picked up some strange family quirks along the way, you are made in his image. And so the story moves on. God not only creates Adam and Eve, but is with them in the garden. He's walking with them. Can you imagine that? And God doesn't say, here, just sit around forever. He gives them meaningful work to do. He tells Adam to to start naming the animals and take care of creation. And many people, you see, when they hear Adam and Eve, if I I say, hey, I'm going to talk about Adam and Eve, what's the first things that come to mind? Sin. Sin. Good. What else? Adam and Eve, the forbidden fruit, right? What else? Adam and Eve, what do you think of? The snake, the garden, sin, right? All these negative things. And so we just jump ahead to Genesis chapter 3. But until now, the story of God's creation is a story of intimacy. Of intimacy. God's story, your story, begins with a a closeness, an intimate relationship with God. The story doesn't begin with sin. Your story does not begin with brokenness. God's story begins with intimacy. But as we skip down to verse 25 of chapter 2, we read this simple yet profound statement. In fact, let's read this together. I believe it's up on the screen. Um, Let's read this together. They felt no shame. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, why would the author take time to put that in there, right? Ooh, they're naked. Great, thanks for that information, right? What's so important about that? I believe the writers of Genesis wanted to know that this is what you and I were created for. We were created for intimacy with God and with one another. I believe it's no coincidence that the number one struggle that we face most often in our lives is figuring out human relationships, right? I just have this feeling, and we're not actually going to do this, so don't freak out. Uh, If we went around the room today and I asked every single one of you, what are your top three struggles in life right now? I strongly believe at least one of those, if not the most important ones, have to do with relationships, right? Siblings, parents, Children, friends, significant others, your spouse, right? So um, most of them have to do with broken relationships. And that's exactly what we see happen here at the beginning of the story. That, that intimacy was broken, as we know. And you know, we've been looking for it ever since. And ever since, God has continued to say, do relationships my way. Do relationships my way. Do relationships within my Boundaries. Even if it takes time and patience, do relationships my way. Trust me. Earlier in, in chapter 2, read this. Chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, because if you eat of it, you will certainly die. Although it's going to be tempting for you as you think about the relationships in your life just as it was for Adam and Eve. We want to seize control. 
We'll someone say, well, God, that's not exactly good enough. God, you must be holding out on me in some way. It's going to be tempting for you in every relationship in your life to seize control instead of letting go and letting God be in charge. And so as we know, as our story continues in Genesis 3, our, our story takes a fateful turn. So flip on back to chapter 3, and we read this in verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now you <laughs> pause there for a second. You've probably heard more arguments than you've ever want to hear about how our fall into sin here in Genesis, right? It's all Eve's fault, right? Because she ate the apple first, right? She was weak and she was tempted Okay, I get that, but let me say this. There's a little line in that passage that we like to skip over, and it goes like this. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. Dudes, we're not off the hook, okay? Who was with with her, frozen, paralyzed. Ever known a passive man who just doesn't want to get off the couch and do something? Genesis, folks. God's story our story. We've got to know, we've got to know the sin, the fall, the the tragedy of this story. When we look at it, it's not that two bites of a fruit were taken. That's not the tragedy here. We tend to focus on what's so bad about eating an apple. By the way, do you know that it's not an apple in the story? It might have been, but we don't know. We just see fruit. For all we know, sometimes when I read this story, I like to imagine it as a watermelon or a cantaloupe or something like that. And the serpent's just got a nice slice there for Eve. And he said, ooh, look, it's seedless, right? (laughs) We're in paradise, right? It's going to be perfect, right? You're not going to have annoying seeds in your watermelon, right? So we don't know if it's an apple or not, but the serpent comes to Eve with the fruit and it's, it's watermelon or it's cantaloupe or kiwi or whatever you want it to be. Uh, anyway, that was my little soapbox. Uh, the real tragedy of this story is that Adam and Eve's relationship with the main character, the hero of this story, God, is lost. The, the intimacy is gone. There's a separation that has occurred, and we know this because immediately after they bite into this forbidden fruit, we read this in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And it's in this hiding, it's in this covering up, in this obvious shame that they're feeling that we find one of the most important questions throughout all of Scripture. Verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9. Here it is. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? This is a profound question because as you look at it, if you look at it just in a physical sense, does God know where Adam is? Yes, right? (laughs) We can read this. It's not a giant game of hide and seek. God's not walking in the garden as the omnipotent, omniscient God and walking around going, Adam, I lost you, right? I got no idea where you are. Is he behind the bush, right? This is the God of the universe. He's not asking Adam and Eve, where are you guys? Okay? They're not hiding in that sense. He knows where Adam is. Instead, it's 
Adam, where do you and your wife now stand in relationship to me? Where is the intimacy, Adam? Why are you hiding? Why, why are you covering up? It's almost like a, like a father that's looking at his son who's just made a terrible mistake. And the son's looking down, or the father's looking down at his son, and, and the son's just kind of backing up slowly because he knows he's in trouble. Have you ever seen a dog do this? Like a little puppy gets down, right? And just kind of kneels down. It's almost like what Adam's doing here. He knows he's busted. And here's the father looking down at his son who's made this terrible mistake, and the father asks, Oh, whoa, wait a minute. What, what happened that could ever make you feel like you have to run from me? And I wonder if God asked us the same question this morning. What could you ever do that would make you feel afraid of me? What could you ever do in your life that would make you feel like you need to hide? Where are you? It was asked of Adam and Eve, and I think we hear that question echo for us today because it's the story of our family of origin. Whether we want it to be or not, we've inherited this broken relationship with God as well. In fact, as we look deeper into the story, there's a few distinct places where I believe that Adam and Eve and us here today find ourselves as a result of our sin, just like Adam. You and I, we're all in the same boat. And so when God asks, where are you? I believe that all of us are, well, we're dead in our sin. And oftentimes we hide in our shame and we are stuck in passivity. Those are some key areas that we find ourselves in. And so I want to look at each of those very quickly, but individually. And then we're going to see what Christ has done about our position. First of all, we learn in Scripture that because of Adam's sin, the this, this story continues, we too inherit a sinful nature, a, a broken relationship with God. It says it like this in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. You may have heard this before. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who is he talking about there? Through one man, Adam, right? And death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. Romans 5, 12. Unfortunately, I can't, none of us can look at Adam and say, Adam, it's just so annoying how you slurp your hot chocolate. I don't want to inherit that from you. That's just a weird family quirk that I don't want. This is something that you can't shake. It's not that way. It doesn't, we can't just say, no, 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 no. This thing that Adam and Eve, this struggle, it doesn't apply to me. I'm better than that. Well, it just doesn't work that way because we know, again, Romans 3.23. Let's read this together up on the screen. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? All. All. That includes all of us. Now you might be thinking, oh, okay, gee whiz, John, uh, this is really cheery, and this sermon's just going down this road that I don't really want to go. I'd rather talk about puppies and butterflies and happy things uh, and things like that. I don't really want to talk about sin. Well, none of us really want to. But here's the thing. In order to have good news, there's got to be bad news. A story's got to head in a certain direction here. And even though we'd rather avoid sin, the truth is that uh, God says to Adam, you, you stepped outside of the boundaries that I created for you. And because you've done that, you will what? You will die. Something in you is going to die. Maybe not physically, but Romans 6.23 agrees. Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is 
death. The wages meaning the price that needs to be paid. The wages that you would get. The wages, the price of sin. That there's a a reality that's woven deep into the fabric of the universe. And no one knows that better than God himself. No one knows that better than Aslan, the lion. You see, C.S. Lewis, many, many years ago, set out to retell the story of God in a way that spoke to adults but also made sense to children, most importantly. And so he created the Chronicles of Narnia, this series, this book series that's been made into films. And in the first book and movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we meet Aslan, the great lion, acting as the character of God and Jesus Christ. But if we have the hero, then we also have to have the villain, and that's played by the white witch in this story. And in this scene, she's caught Edmund, who finds himself in a very, very similar predicament to our friend Adam. Edmund is caught in sin. And as you watch this clip, I want you to see not only the consequences for sin that is written into the fabric of the universe, but also the rescue for that sin. Let this simple children's story speak to you about the depth of God's story. Let's take a look. It's powerful to watch. It reminds us of the kind of God that we have. There is a deeper magic, and it's not just a fairy tale. It's not just magic. As Aslan tells the girls, there's a power that's deeper than even death itself. You see, Edmund belonged on the stone table. He, just like Adam, deserved to die. The death that Jesus Christ died on the cross was Adam's and all of ours to bear. But then in the story, the great lion steps in and takes his place and then rises again. Remind you of anything? Defeating the power of our sin. So Romans chapter 5 verse 17 says this, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So when God asks us this morning, where are you without Christ? First of all, we are dead in our sin without Christ. But with Christ, we are made alive again. As Ben talked about last week, Jesus became sin for us, right? He took the penalty on himself. Aslan became the sin that was Edmund's to bear. That's not just good news, that's great news. We're alive today. We have breath in our lungs. We are alive. We're here today because of what Jesus Christ has done. But that's not the only place I believe we find ourselves in. As we look deeper at this story, we're not just caught in our sin. We find ourselves many times in the exact same place that Adam and Eve were. So back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. Adam said, I heard you, he's talking to God, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, and so I hid. You see, even as Christians, we know in our minds, we know intellectually that we have been saved. We know what Jesus did on the cross. We know the power of the cross. But we don't live into that. So often we don't live into it because we too hide. I mentioned that God wasn't playing hide and seek with Adam and Eve, but we all know what it's like to hide, don't we? Does anybody remember playing hide and seek growing up? You remember that? 
especially in like a great big dark building and nobody knows where you are, right? It's easy to hide. We all know what it's like. As a, as a PK, as a pastor's kid growing up, one of my favorite things to do was to find the hiding places in church that nobody else knew about. And so uh, we were having youth group. I think I was like in second or third grade. Uh, and we were having youth group. It was an after-school thing. And uh, it started like at three, and it was supposed to end around five. And so we played hide-and-seek. And I'm like, okay, here's my chance. I'm going to show up all the other kids and show them what hide-and-seek at Emmanuel Lutheran Church is all about. Nobody knows the best hiding places except me. And so I go down all the way to the basement to the back storage room and find this old sink by some cabinets. And I was small enough that I could fit underneath the sink where the pipe goes down where people normally put your garbage underneath the sink. That's where I hid for two and a half hours, okay? It was the longest game of hide-and-seek in my life. So there I am, you know, 10 minutes goes by, half an hour goes by, 40, 45 minutes goes by, hour and a half goes by, and I'm like, what is going on? And then I start hearing some voices, you know, like our, our youth director and the other kids in the youth group, and they're going, okay, John, you know, you can come on out whenever, you can stop hiding, the game's over. Ah, I'm too smart for that. They're trying to trick me. You see, the game's not really over. They just don't want to lose. And so I hide. And I continue to hide. And I continue to hide and hide and hide until two and a half hours later, I hear the voice of my father. Jonathan, right? Sounding more and more like him every day. That's scary. Uh, Yes, Stefan. Jonathan, you need to come out. And so here I am, this little second, third grade boy, and up from the counter. Okay, and so they are been freaking out. My mom has been worried sick. They think I'm lost, dead in the gutter somewhere, you know, as every mother worries. And where have you been? And the youth directors were wondering if they're going to lose their job because they started with 12 kids and now they have 11 and we're just playing hide and seek. Where's the pastor's kid? Well, he's under the sink. And so they've been freaking out. And what's, what's my, my first reaction to this? Did I win, right? <laughs> That's the, first thing that I, that's the first thing that I ask. There's a time to hide, and there's a time to be found. And for some reason, that day when I heard my father's voice, I knew that I didn't need to hide anymore. But not so with Adam and Eve, and often with us, unfortunately. Adam says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. And so I hid in stark contrast to the intimacy that they once had with God walking in the garden, now they're hiding. And I mean, how, how silly is it to hide from those that love you? It'd be silly if you hid from your spouse, <laughs> from your child. Why, why would you hide from somebody? If you, if you know that your mother or your father loves you, why would you hide from them? Because if you know you're loved and forgiven, there's no reason to hide, whether it's in a marriage or in a friendship or maybe even in your life group. You can be vulnerable. You can be open. You can be honest because you know that you're accepted. And that's the very foundation for it. But this is what sin does to human relationships. It breaks the trust. And so we lose the intimacy. Adam chose to live in fear instead of trust. And so do we. So when I ask today, where are you? Maybe you've been wrestling with that. Where are you? For some of you, you know what your answers should be? Hiding. A lot of us are hiding. We hide in all sorts of ways, but many of them are never seen. But you know what they are, and God knows what they are. And maybe for you, it is shame that you're hiding in today. 
Where are you today? If you're truly honest, you're, you're probably in the past. That's where you're hiding, is you're hiding in the past. Whether it was yesterday or last week or last month or many years ago, it's that mistake you've made. It's that decision that you made long ago. It's that temptation that you gave into, and you've been carrying that this whole time. Maybe it's those hurtful words that you said to your spouse. Maybe it's that addiction that once ruined your family. Maybe it's that secret, that thing that happened in college that you've never told anyone. But just beyond our shame, we, we hide in all sorts of ways. For some of you, you've been hiding behind your insecurities your entire life. That the only person that you know how to be is the person that other people want you to be. You don't even know who you are anymore. We've lost the real you. Maybe for you this morning, inside of you, there is a creative, passionate young woman who's been, been called to set an example of faith and purity and love, but it's, it's hiding behind this, this insecure, timid, emotionally uh, needy roller coaster who's believing that I don't have anything to offer. Instead, inside of you, there is a strong, confident woman of God that's just dying to get out. Maybe inside you there's a, there's, a, there's a strong and confident man of God who's been called to make an impact on future generations, but it's hiding. It's hiding behind the fear of wondering, do I have what it takes to talk about things that matter as a man? Do I have what it takes? Remember Adam? Remember what his downfall was? Adam's downfall in this story wasn't, oh, I don't know enough scripture. Oh, I haven't been to church enough. Oh, I'm not spiritual enough. Adam's downfall was passivity. The issue here wasn't what he did, it's what he didn't do. It's that Adam did nothing. And that continues to be the downfall, especially for us men. And this goes from big things to to daily things. Men, how easy it is to just veg in front of the TV. It's okay to do that at times, but what happens when your wife starts to cry out for intimacy? As your children grow older day by day and they're looking for a father desperately to engage in their lives, to get into their story, maybe it's time to turn off the TV, right? Maybe it's time to, as men to remove the stereotypes that, well, men don't really engage in deep relationships. Bull. <laughs> Bull honky. Where does it say that? That men are supposed to be shallow. Maybe it's time to start taking the fig leaves off and stop being the poser and be the man of God that you were created to be. As men and women, we both struggle with this. And, and ladies, you're not off the hook either. The, the, the temptation is often to be passive as well, to sit passively by and to think, oh, my role as a Christian woman is, is just to be nice and just stay busy. That's what a Christian woman's supposed to be. I'm just going to stay busy. Mean, meanwhile, you're sitting by passive to the things that you should be engaging with. You're paralyzed, not wanting to step up, not wanting to ever live victoriously, to move beyond the wounds that have come your way in your life. From the outside, oh yeah, it may look like you're a healthy, successful, confident adult, but on the inside, you're a scared little boy or girl that's hiding underneath the sink. Is that where we've been called to live? Where are you today? 
Where are you hiding? Because of what happened in the garden, we hide. But in Christ, in Christ, we have a father that calls out to us, that comes to us, just like my father did that day. And the reality of what your father says to you this morning is Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is for freedom that you have been set free. You see, living with the consequences of our sin is different than living in the guilt of our sin. There's a big difference. We will always live with the consequences of the things that we do, but we were never meant to be paralyzed by them. And so maybe for you today, you're frozen. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe nothing in your life seems to be changing. Well, so it was with many of those who were in Narnia during the glory days of Aslan when all was well and people were alive. That's how it was until Aslan has rised from the dead, until the power of the past, until the power of guilt, until the power of shame was broken as he split that stone table The story didn't end there. Watch as Aslan goes back to rescue those that the witch had frozen. And as you see these characters frozen, paralyzed, maybe that's you today. And the same thing that the great lion does for them as he breathes the breath of life into them, maybe that's exactly what God needs to do to you and your heart today, to breathe some life back into you. You're paralyzed, hiding in guilt and shame, frozen in fear. Let's take a look. Come out of your hiding today. Receive the breath of life from Jesus Christ. Jesus says to you today, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're at, let me breathe some life back into you today so that we can have the real you again. The real you. And then Jesus says, let me remind you this morning that what happened in Genesis is not the end of the story. Oh, that is not the end of your story. The great lion of Judah, as he's called. Jesus Christ has defeated the power of sin and death. And so when we're asked, where are you? We can confidently say this morning, with him. Living in an intimate daily, dynamic, living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ, with him, in a relationship with my creator, and there's nowhere else that I would rather be. Where would you rather be this morning than in a relationship with the God that made you, that knows you better than you know yourself? Genesis is a very real part of our story, but then again, so is the hero that it points us to. The darkness of our sin is real, but so is the light. The light of Jesus Christ that shines in the darkest areas of our lives and brings us out of our hiding, out of our passivity, out of our frozen state and sets us free with his love. Perfect love casts out all fear. Come out of your hiding. Where are you this morning? Where are you? 
It's time to be set free. Let's stand together.